Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Up in Kalamazoo, and every now and then they let me come down south and talk to you guys, and I like doing it. So good morning. We have my card plugged in there. Ruben, you are the man. Let's see if this slideshow is going to work. We're trying something different today because my computer was acting up. If I do not have a slideshow, this is going to be very interesting because it is, it is not only a help to you, it is a help to me. So that's all right. I'm going to start out by saying we are in our FIRE series. We are talking about our core, our core values, not only of New Day Community Church, but also of Partners in Harvest, the organization of churches that we belong to. And actually, Vine is the only church that did it in order. We're the only church that has FIRE values. I believe Nichols has EFRAY values. And you guys have fear values, if I'm not, not mistaken. So, yes, yes. Today we're concluding it with relationship, which is strange. So, fear, it's French. That's great. So, we're going to talk about God's priority of restoration in the Christian life. And I am just going to begin without my slides, and I'm going to attempt to do it all from memory. Is everybody cool with this? Yes. Excellent. So, the first thing I realized, by the way, my sermon prep, if you guys are curious what, what a pastor's sermon prep looks like, it looks like this. This is an inside look. So this is the gritty reality. We get up way too early because we're stressed. We use instant coffee because there's no time to make regular coffee. And we sit down in our favorite chair and we say, oh, God, I have to talk about something in a week. What am I going to talk about? And then begins this deeply passionate and spiritual waiting on the Lord to give us, you know, throw us a bone or an idea. No, it's, it's a little grimmer than it actually is, but that's actually very similar to what I do. There's a lot of coffee drinking, there's a lot of praying, and there's a lot of pacing around. So I was doing that, and I started to think about restoration, restoration. Where do I even begin with restoration? And I thought, I know. I'll begin at the beginning with Adam and Eve. So the very first story in the Bible is the story of restoration. Adam and Eve have a relationship with God. They mess it up. What does God do? He steps in. He tries to restore immediately puts a plan in effect. And then I thought, or I could talk about Cain, you know, one of their very first kids who is a terrible miscreant. And the whole, whole way, all throughout Cain's disobedience and his ultimate murder of his brother, God is trying to restore. And then I thought, why stop there? You could literally talk about anyone in the Old Testament and, and somehow turn it to a restoration story. The story of Noah. Why does God save Noah and his family? Why does God deliver them safely? to start over, to restore his relationship to humanity. Why does God choose Abram, name him Abraham, start a whole new people to restore his relationship with humanity? You can go on and on and on. Jacob and Esau, great story of restoration. You can even talk about obscure characters like Manasseh. Any Manasseh fans in the house? Anybody ever even heard of Manasseh? Not too many kids named Manasseh. And that's because he was a rotten scoundrel his whole life into his old age. But if you read, I believe, in Second Chronicles, at the end of Manasseh's life, the dude gets radically transformed by God, and he lives it out for his remaining years. It is a wonderful story if, A, you are old, and B, you are aware that you have been a rotten scoundrel your whole life. You too, my friend, can be restored. So there is hope for you as well. But I'm not going to talk about any of those characters. Today, I'm going to go to my favorite story of restoration in the whole Bible, which I don't know how I'm going to do that without slides because there's a lot of verses, and I didn't bring my paper Bible. But it's Hosea. It's the book of Hosea, chapter 2. So Hosea in the Old Testament is a prophet. 
This is not probably as cool as it sounds to us today because sometimes prophets in the Old Testament got really, well, honestly, kind of crappy assignments, really. So God says, hey, Hosea, you're the man of God around here. I'm going to speak to my people through you. Sound good? And apparently Hosea was like, yes, sounds good. Use your servant, Lord. And he says, great, here's what you're going to do. I want you to find the biggest whore that you can, and you're going to marry her. And here's your job, Hosea. And it says whore, I think, three times in the first chapter of Hosea, describing the woman he marries. She's legitimately a prostitute, a terrible, shameless, unfaithful woman. And God says, Hosea, here's your job. Marry her. She's going to do what she does, and your job is to be faithful. Your job is to take her back. Your job is to live in constant restoration, because I'm doing two things. In your life, in the here and now, in reality, people are going to look at you, and they're going to be amazed that you keep taking this woman back. In real life. This is a real guy. But I want them to realize that right now, in real time, spiritually, this is what I want to do to my people. You guys keep running away. You keep rebelling. You keep shaming me. You keep doing these things that you should be ashamed of, but you're not. You're embarrassing me, and I keep taking you back. This is my desire. So Hosea does it. And Hosea chapter 2, man, read Hosea chapter 2. Listen, if you do nothing else, if you take nothing else away from this message, go to Hosea chapter 2, read it once, twice, three times, spend a week in it. You will learn so much about God's heart towards all of us, how God accomplishes his goal, and what his goal is. Hosea chapter 2 is absolutely fantastic. And God dives in to how he is going to restore relationship with his people. Who's got a paper Bible that they can bring me? It's looking like the slideshow is out. Excellent. And now I have to use this podium that I don't normally use. You know what? You guys are forgiven and relieved from the slideshow. Oh, no, wait, hold on. I can use my selected scriptures right here on my other super techie device, my phone. Oh, man. Now I'm dangerously close to being like one of those trendy preachers. I try so hard to avoid that. Oh, well. Guys, guess what app I'm opening right now on my phone? Who knows me well enough? Bible. That's exactly right. We are going to the Blue Letter Bible, and we are also opening up Google Slides. Hosea chapter 2. Give me two seconds here, my friends. There's grace, right? All right. You should all pray about some sort of sin or issue that you have in your life right now while I'm doing this, and you should all feel very convicted. All right, here we go. It's loading. We've got a loading screen. No pressure, tech team. Seriously, it's all right. This is it for today. Just keep that New Day Vandalia slide up there. We are all good. But I do want to do this. So thank you for your peace. While this is loading, let me say, sometimes in pop culture, things happen. And, and I don't know if the artist intends it or not. Forgive me if you don't like the movie, but I find divine references in the movie Terminator 2. I actually cry every time. And some of you have heard me talk about this if you've been around a while. But I'm like, whoa. So often in that movie, they capture the Father's heart for us and didn't even realize it. Who has heard Keep on Loving You by REO Speedwagon? If you read the lyrics without the song, it is absolutely astounding. Though I know all about those men, still I don't remember. Because it was us long before them and we're still together. And I meant every word I said. And when I said I loved you, I meant that I loved you forever. And I'm going to keep on loving you. I cannot open this app. We're going to Hosea 2. Buckle in, guys. We're reading the whole chapter. I don't have my selected verses. Here we go. 
Oh, you're right there on the page. Thank you, Israel. That was perfect. It was not an accident, was it really? Are you kidding me? Brilliant. All right. Here we go. I will not show love to her children because they are the children of adultery. We're starting in 2-4. Their mother has been unfaithful. She has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. I appreciate that you've underlined that in your Bible because it's a key, key part of my message. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore... I will, therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers and no one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket. Wild animals will devour them. Verse 13, this is key. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Those are the idols that God is saying, my people have prostituted themselves with these false gods. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot. Stop right there. If Pastor Anthony stops reading at that point, is this much of a message on restoration? This is the dumbest message on restoration you have ever heard. That is not hopeful. That is really bad. God is saying, you guys have done all these things because you think you're getting benefit from that. You think that all these good things in your life come from these nasty things. I'm going to take them all away. And not only that, there's going to be a punishment involved because you forgot who I am. But it goes on. The next part, which really shows us God's motive for doing all that previous stuff, is the next half of the chapter. And this is the good part. Verse 14, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor, that means trouble, a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. We're going to stop right there at verse 220. That is an amazing, beautiful story of restoration. And I want to say that it points out the first of the three aspects of restoration that I want to mention this morning, and that is assured restoration. Assured restoration. Your relationship with God can be restored 100% of the way right now, 
every time if you desire it, if you want it. This is the beginning of the Christian life. This is what God wants so desperately for his people. Because he meant every word he said, and when he said he loved us, he meant he loved us forever. So what does it look like to want that relationship restored? And if you've already done this and you're there, then, you know, just take a deep breath. Enjoy it, because this is so sweet. This was your beginning, right? To want to be restored to the Lord means not only am I'm not just going back to him because it was better, like the prodigal son, where the prodigal son says, I'll go back to my dad so at least I can have food, you know? You go back, Spurgeon has a great quote about this that I have on a slide that I can't use now, where he says, you have to complete, you have to run for your life from those things that you thought you were getting the good life from. The thing that you put your security in and your trust in and your benefit and your identity, the things that you worshiped and celebrated before, when the blinders come off and you realize these are not what I thought they were, these are actually sucking the life out of me, you turn and you hightail it back home to the father. In Hosea chapter 2, it's the husband. You run back home. And you do that not because you think you deserve to be welcomed back in the house. The prodigal son was right when he said to the father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. The wife in Hosea chapter 2 would be right if she said, I'm not worthy to be called your wife. We don't run home because our relationship is sure to be restored because we're so great. We run home to the husband, to the father, because our relationship is sure to be restored because of who he is. Because he's a husband, he's a father that waits, looking out for the smallest sign of you on the horizon, and he runs to meet you. And he doesn't want to hear any nonsense about, I'm not worthy. That's old news. No one said you were worthy, but he's saying, take off those crabby beggar clothes and put on this robe, put on this ring. The moment you started running home, relationship with me was assured. So if you need that today, that is available. Today, after a short probationary period where you have to feel appropriately guilty. No, <laughs> shockingly, that's not in the Bible. There's no probationary period. How many of you guys know that we put ourselves on probation? We are the ones that say we don't deserve the Father's love. We don't deserve to come back home. It's God's job to say, yeah, I know, get in the house. Enough of that. Come on in. So if you need that today, receive it. Receive it. And if you feel like you're a totally crappy person, especially if you're a Manasseh-type person, you've been really bad for a really long time, your relationship with God can be restored today for sure. It's not in question. Got it? Amen? Amen. Part two, no slides. I think I'm doing pretty good. Not only is our relationship with God assured and this is how we begin the Christian life, but continual restoration is the activity of the Christian life. Because stories don't end with the beginning, do they? That wouldn't make any sense. There's got to be something else after the beginning. And this is actually demonstrated in the book of Hosea as well. So God says, hey, in that day, you're going to call me my husband. No longer will you call me my master. And in verse 17, he says this, I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. Now, we can read right past that, and we can think that Hosea 2.17 is some sort of poetic flourish, right? right? Where God is basically saying, everything's going to go back to the way it was. Everything will be good. But I don't think that's taking the bales seriously enough. What, what was the wife in this story getting from these bales? She was getting her security, was she not? 
These were the things that she got all gussied up for and went and celebrated. She attributed everything she needed in her life to these bales. They were her security. They had her devotion. They were what she celebrated. They were what she worshipped. Now, if you have ever talked to someone who has dealt with a serious addiction, that is a glaring representation of something that we all deal with to some extent. But someone who is heavily addicted to a drug, like one of the really nasty ones, you know, I've known people uh, that have been addicted to crack, to methamphetamines, to heroin. And uh, I just talked to somebody the other day who's 65 days clean. And they're like, I've never felt this good in my life. This is amazing. But Hosea 2.17 to them, if heroin was the bail, if I walked up to this lady 66 days ago and said, hey, I'm going to remove heroin from your life, you're going to forget all about it. Well, suddenly that seems way more serious. Like that's a heck of a claim all of a sudden. Like how in the world are you going to do that? Because how do I live without this? How do I live without this thing? How do I live without putting my trust and my identity and my security here? And some of us might feel that way, whether we admit it or not, about something as silly as our good looks or something as seemingly significant as our bank account. You know, what at, at rock bottom, where is your trust? Where is your identity? Is there a bail? And we need to look for them because they're sneaky. And God is saying, you know what? Let it be heroin. Let it be crack. Let it be your bank account. Let it be your own capability. Stop trusting in that. You trust in me. And I'm going to be so good, baby, that you're going to forget its name. No longer will their names even be invoked. You're going to forget about it in my house. Come back home. Come back home. But you know what? That's a process. The lady I talked to last night has not yet forgotten the name of heroin. Right? Sanctification is the process of continual restoration that we walk out for the duration of the Christian life. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Right after he gets done telling the Ephesians all this stuff that they shouldn't do, he gives them a list of things that they should do. He's like, don't act this way, don't think this way. I think it's in Ephesians 2. Lost my notes, like I said, six times before. And right before he tells them how to think and how to act, he says this. He's like, you got to put off the old man that's been absolutely corrupted, and you have to put on the new man that looks like Christ and be transformed in your inner man. Be transformed in your mind. This is a process. Guys, we just bought a house. Somebody say amen. Anybody ever bought a, a new slash old house? Like, this is a 100-year-old house in the Vine neighborhood. Let me tell you what. When the tenants, it was a rental for a long time, which should tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> in the Vine neighborhood, with people that just believe life was about playing music and drinking cheap beer every day. We walked in, me and my wife, at night, two Fridays ago, two days before I had to speak this message on restoration at Nichols, and this was the first time we'd ever had to do a, or ever gotten to do a real walkthrough with nobody there. It's a miracle how we were led to this house. It is an absolute godsend in every way. Let me tell you the story later if you're curious. But we walked into that house, and we were like, what did we do? We paid for this? How did we not see that this is uneven, that this is cracked? And like the walls, which are plaster, by the way, of course, look like pin cushions. My buddy Levi Sager, you guys might know him, says that renters go to a special store to buy like five-inch nails and like six-inch drywall screws that aren't available to the general public, but they use these to ruin your house. So the walls look like pincushions, and we're like, 
What in the world are we going to do? This is crazy. This is terrible. Let me tell you guys something. There are some things in that house I intend to put off. I've already put off about a hundred gigantic, like, railroad ties in the wall to hold up a poster. It's ridiculous. I put off a bunch of those. Man, I put off a bunch of asbestos. I put off some carpet. I put off some carpet padding. We put off so much stuff in the garbage, we have to wait several weeks, probably, for the garbage man to take all this stuff. But when we're done doing that, is the house finished? Is it mine? Is it restored? No, because then I'm going to put on some things as well. We've already put on a ton of paint. I've put on a bunch of hydraulic cement to hopefully dry off the basement. Pray for us. And, <laughs> you know, the home renovation shows don't end when they rip out all the old junk, do they? They end after they put in the new stuff. Guys, this is sanctification. This is the process. This is the activity of the Christian life. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's a great tool to use our healing and restoration ministry at New Day. Who's heard of H&R? The Menzers lead it. This is great. This is basically just facing your stuff with God. You can go, you can sit down across from someone you trust, you can pray, and you can let the Lord bring stuff up in your heart that you need to take off, put off. And the Lord might surprise you. He might want to redo the whole kitchen. I don't know. But you know, he might want to build an addition too. You open up yourself to the Lord saying, let's put on some things. Let's grow in my character a little bit. This is also part of restoration. You know what? It's time to upgrade this porch, man. How about a sunroom? You know, he might say we're buying the neighbor's lot as well. You've always wanted a garden. There's fun stuff involved in restoration. It's not all gross and nasty, but it takes courage and it takes humility to walk it out. I want to throw in a plug right now for a book by Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning fans? No? Nah, you should be. Called Ruthless Trust. And if you're at a point, if you're kind of a Manasseh-ish type person, and you want there to be hope for you, let Brandon, Brandon Manning speak some hope into your soul with his book, Ruthless Trust. Because we can ruthlessly trust God to finish the work. He's the one that ultimately gets it done. All right, so how do we start the Christian life? It's the assured restoration of our relationship with God, right? Run home, man. You are going to be taken back and stop that I'm not worthy stuff. Everybody knows that. God knows that too. Get in the house, all right? Be restored. And then our Christian life consists of continual restoration, sanctification. Not just God pointing out things that are wrong with you, but God himself helping you. God does the work. He takes off that old garbage and he puts in the new stuff that's like him. Let's have the humility and let's have the courage to roll with that and to be transformed. But it doesn't stop there. We have a beginning and we have a middle. But before we get to the end, let's play a game. And this game is called, What are the Odds? Do not answer out loud, because it's a preacher game, and everybody knows that at the end there's some sort of twist, and if you're the one that says something or raises their hand, you're, you're going to look kind of silly. So don't. I'm just warning you ahead of time. Yes, it's one of those. Imagine in your mind what the odds are that you will see restoration. You're walking down the street. You see a 10-year-old kid, and he's got a bright blue cast all the way up his leg. All right? Like you're full of faith, like, you know, maybe you got Janie with you, all right? You're out on the street. You're going to pray for this guy. What are the odds, imagine in your mind, zero to 100%, that you're going to see restoration of that leg? What are the odds that that leg will be restored? Be honest with yourself. All right, let's move on to the next one. A guy recently died who was an intellectual giant, Stephen Hawking. 
you know? Let's imagine, let's play a game, that Steve was on his porch one day, and he, I don't know, had an encounter with the Lord watching an amazing English sunrise or something, and he realizes he believes Jesus is the Christ. He gets radically saved, all right? Wheels himself into the nearest charismatic church. We got a bunch of partners in Harvest Churches in England. He winds up in one of those, and he says, you know what, guys? I've always wanted to be able to talk, and I've always wanted to be able to walk. I just got saved. Pray for me. Answer honestly in your mind, what are the odds that you're going to see restoration of Stephen Hawking, who wheels himself into a Partners in Harvest Church in the UK? What are the odds, really? Now the third one. Those are both physical examples. Let's talk about physical, mental, and emotional healing. Who knows that a horrible genocide happened in Rwanda in the 90s? I saw a black and white photo of uh, refugees in a refugee camp in 1994, and it was, it was just sobering. I used to listen to a podcast about genocide in general, and it really shook me, man. And I saw this, this poster, and these people are just staring off into space. You know, and they have seen things and had things happen to them and their family that, honestly, I don't ever need to understand. I'm, I'm, I'm not Mr. Tough Guy, like, oh, I can handle it. I could not handle it. You know, should the Lord ever bring anything like that into my life, I will trust him to give me the strength to bear up under it. I'm, I'm saying I don't ever need to chase that down, okay? About a million people butchered with machetes. It, it's absolutely disturbing. So I'm looking at this photo, which I had to show you, but you've been spared. And so here's my, here's my question. What are the odds if that whole refugee camp has an amazing Acts 2 experience and gets saved? that they're going to be restored, physically, mentally, and emotionally restored. What are the realistic odds? Now, I've searched the scriptures for us. It took me about five minutes, and I have come up with the right answer on all of these questions. It is 100%. 100%. The broken leg, should Stephen Hawking have gotten saved? Him too. And the whole refugee camp, should they get saved? will be restored. And do you know why that is? It's because our Bibles don't end in Hosea, and our Bibles don't end in Ephesians, and our Bibles don't even really end with Jesus coming out of the grave and being restored to life. Unless your three-year-old niece has ripped out the last book, our Bibles end in Revelation. And if you look, and I believe it's Revelation 21, this amazing thing happens where the throne room of God in heaven comes down to earth and says, I think I'll stay a while. Heaven and earth have been restored and made new. It says that he's come down. There's not even going to need to be a sun. He's going to provide light. And the voice from the throne says, guess what? It says, behold, which is ancient Greek for check it out. Check it out. I make all things new. High five. New. Leg. New. Stephen Hawking, if you got saved, brother. New. All right? Refugee camp, guess what? New. How many people know that that is not figurative? God intends to restore this place, earth. God intends to really bring this place called heaven, which is the area that he exists right now and has dominion, to earth. And he intends that to be in unity forever. I hope you're not miserable for the whole 105 years of your life. But if you are, eternity is a heck of a lot longer than 105 years. If our assured restoration of relationship is how we begin the Christian life, 
And if continual restoration of our body, mind, and spirit is the activity of the Christian life, this assured, eternal, ultimate restoration is the hope of the Christian life. And friends, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I don't know what's going to happen in your life. But I'll tell you this. I'm not putting the anchor of my hope a week out. I'm going to put the anchor of my hope in eternity, where the Lord has said, bank on it. This same father, this same husband that welcomed you home, unworthy and all, that, sh- that showed you how to be restored, that walked you through the process your whole life, be assured, I will make all things new and it will last forever. Count on me and you anchor your hope right here. And that will get us through whatever happens. So guys, this morning, in whatever way you need it, whether it's salvation, whether it's putting something off, putting something on, or putting your hope in the right place, I invite you to join in restoration.